back in listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two wonderful guests from a wonderful new work. I, I, I think you're sensing a, a theme here with wonderful. It really is a powerful show. I can't wait to share this with you. We have the director and co-producer Matilda Shadigas and the performer Rick Seacrest, both of whom are with The Magazine, playing now through May 13th at ATA's historic Sargent Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting carnivalgirlsproductions.com. And this show, I'm telling you listeners, this show is a fantastic show. We actually stumbled upon it when we were putting our big board together, buying our tickets, getting ready to share shows with you before we even had the opportunity to speak with these great people. So we're so excited to bring them to you. Let's not wait any longer. Matilda, Rick, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Thank you. Hi. Thank you very much for having us. I am so excited to have you two here to be talking about this great show. I know I I, I refer to it as wonderful, but it, it's wonderfully moving and, and sad. But it, I mean, I'm excited about all this. The, the short description I got to read about it when I was looking for shows, I immediately was like, this is a show I have to see. This is this sounds so gripping. So why not with, with that? Why don't we go and start by asking Matilda, can you tell us a little bit about this show? Sure. Yeah. So in general, you said, you know, how it's dramatic and, and gripping. So, yes, it's a drama, but it certainly still has its moments of levity in it, just like in you know real life. But basically, the story behind it is that a married couple grapples with grief, guns, God and porn when a, a magazine addressed to their murdered son arrives and, and their son was killed in a school shooting. And so the play is about not the actual school shooting, but the aftermath of their relationship and how they are dealing with their grief. People deal with griefs differently. And so they're kind of separately grieving. But at the end of the day, I really do feel that this play is about love and hope and about empathy and compassion. And yeah, I really hope that, you know, the audiences who come to see it can walk away thinking of putting that love and hope and empathy and compassion into their lives and separately Politically speaking, you know, I'm hoping that maybe some of the audience members will actually want to do something in terms of helping ban those assault rifles, helping, you know, the issue with the gun violence. And it was it's it's pretty crazy. This whole last week when we were coming to the theater during tech week to finish it up to the rehearsals and, and stuff. I mean, the, our phones were just like exploding with alerts day after day after day this entire week. You know, here's another mass shooting. Here's another gun violence incident, you know, and then one of them was a school shooting and they're all separate. And it was just like, yeah, this is this is why Christie wrote this play. This is why we are doing the show, because for us, what we can do as artists is just create this art to help maybe, you know, inspire people to go out and make a difference in the world. Maybe someday this mass violence will stop. Yeah, here's hoping from from your mouth to God's ears. Rick, how did you come upon this show? Well, that's interesting. I I know I've known Christy and Matilda for a very long time, and some of my favorite roles in New York City so far have been Christy Perfetti Williams' plays. She has a knack for being able to write strong characters, both male and female. You know, whatever the the gender may be, she's able to hear people speaking. And I, I've always 
been a fan and I, I can't turn away from what she's writing. Like, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to read one of her scripts or screenplays or anything like that. I think she's got published novels or something. The way she speaks to you as an, as an artist, it makes you feel like you have to do something. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to be a part of this production in order to get the message out. And specifically in this case, as artists, there's only so much we can do. Every time you hear about one of these mass shootings, you're kind of wondering, well, what can I do? What can I do to make it better? And really, I think the thing we need to do is we need to go to the polls and we need to keep the keep it in the narrative. And I feel like Christy has a very strong way of writing it to keep it in the narrative. Like it's a discussion when people leave this theater. They're just characters you can't look away from. As an artist, you have an arc and you love it and you hate it at the same time. And Christy is just so good with this. I love that. Matilda, back to you. What has it been like developing the show, not just as the co-producer, but mainly as the director? It's It's been a three-year journey for us. We had the first stage reading with uh, Workshop Theater, October 28th, 2019. And as I mentioned, we were two weeks away from opening March 2020 when the world shut down. And then we were, you know, we thought about going up again at the beginning of 2022. And then Omicron happened. So that didn't, you know, we didn't get too far with that. And then, you know, and so here we are. I just feel that this show is very haunting and poignant and beautiful and sadly still so timely. And yeah, I'm just so incredibly happy that we are able to put it up that because I know a lot of theater companies and and plays were scrapped because of the pandemic. But, but you know, Christy and I both were, were like, this is too important of a show with too important of a message. We have to, we have to put this up. We have to do it. And luckily we, you know, we finally found the time to be able to do that. I love that. Rick, I want to ask you as the, as one of the actors in the show, what has it been like developing this work? Oh man, it's been all over the map, you know, like you're, it's funny because even in performances now that we're finally open, we just opened last night to a, a pretty well received reception and we're we're thrilled about that. But it's one of these pieces that every time you step out there, it's, it's the sort of the, your tactics are changing and you're, and you're dealing with this movement of emotion. Like, you, you know, you might come out and just be already sort of you're feeling like you're at the end of the play, but then you find your way back to the beginning because there's a lot of levity in this and it's very nuanced, which is another thing that I love about doing a Christie play is it's so much nuance. I think the development process for this has been somewhat surreal while being extreme realism. Like it's, it's you, you have out-of-body experiences while you're doing this play as these characters, as the, the mom and dad of this situation. I do not have children of my own, but there are enough, enough things to research on this topic and you can easily put yourself into the shoes of these characters. And she does that so well. I, I think it's hard to shake it at the end of the night. It's hard to go through a whole day the next day and not sort of live in the character's shoes at some level. And I think when you, when you play a character like this, it's important to separate yourself, but at the same time, it's in the headlines all day long. So you're, you're just, you're just sort of traveling up and down this little rod all day long. And, and you can see how people go to dark corners of the world in their mind, you know, but it's, it's been a great process. Everybody, the ensemble, one thing that I wanted to add to what Matilda said earlier to the overall reason for doing this play, I think community, I, I think for me, community, this, this play for me has a lot of community in it, but it starts in isolation. 
and we're all finding our way back to the threads that we need in the course of the other characters in the play. We're, we're searching for reason for existence to move forward after this, you know, tragedy that happens. And, and I think you, you just kind of have to rein yourself in a little bit and realize that you are just an actor in the piece at the end of the process, you know, and, and just word on the street. That's all. I, I, I like it. Yeah. And then um, I'll add that it's like as the director, I wanted to I mean, Chrissy obviously wrote wrote the ending as she as she wrote it. But I also wanted to like add my little button to the ending where I wanted to make sure that it ended on a note of hope. I'm going back to that hope and love. So it's like an open ending, as you will see once, you know, once you come once you come to see it. And that was a lot of exploration in that process. That's what I was saying with my piece there is that, you know, it, it went all over the place in rehearsal with that. And then we finally, you know, Matilda finally buttoned it in and said, OK, we've had enough playing with this. Let's just sort of put the stakes right here, you know? Yeah. And I got to add, so one of the characters is clairvoyant. And Christy actually uh, interviewed a real medium some years ago, and she based the character of Claire on this medium who's, uh, her name is Rosemary. And I, I don't have, unfortunately, I don't have her last name handy right now but she came to the show last night rosemary came to the show last night and afterwards she told christy that every single time one of the characters came on stage that a vortex opened and she absolutely she just absolutely loved the show she thought it was really beautiful oh that is amazing wow that's a great lead into my next question which is what is the thought or message you're hoping audiences will take away from this show and Matilda I'm going to start with you on that first well I'm you know I'm hoping that when the audiences see this that they do walk away with that idea of to remember to put that love and hope in their lives and I feel that empathy and compassion is you know really important as well but yeah I'll you know I'll add again the idea of hopefully you know politically speaking that you know, maybe they'll be inspired to do something more uh, concrete. You know, maybe they'll get into politics a little bit more, to, you know, or they will if they if they don't vote, maybe they next time they will go and vote, you know, to to try to ban those assault rifles and, you know, try to do something in that sense. Or if other artists are, you know, coming to the show, maybe they'll be inspired to write something about about the topic, whether it's, you know, like I said, the stages of grief or you know, keeping the empathy and compassion in one's life, the love and the hope to just like to keep that love. I just think that that's, you know, really, really important to to, to have for people to have that um, in their own personal lives and, and community, like Rick mentioned, you know, it's like hopefully the, you know, trying just trying to get the message out there to make the world a better place. You know, and that's at the end of the day, isn't that what art's about? Yes. Inspire. Yes, absolutely. Rick, what about you? Yeah, I don't I don't think I can top that on a much bigger scale, but I would like to add just be patient, be present uh, on the way here to do this. I, I was talking to a homeless vet for 10 solid minutes. He just, you know, he was shaking my hand and just explaining a whole bunch of things about his life to me. And I was just standing on a street corner and I was like, okay, I'm just here. I'm just present. You know, I'm in the moment. I'm listening. It's a struggle that he's dealing with. And I, I think one thing, again, getting back to the way Christy writes characters is you want to know more about them. It's such a slice of life mm -hmm. that you don't get to experience the entire existence of these characters. You only get a moment. Maybe in the case of this is what, six, seven days is the, is the. Yeah, it's a one week. Yeah, it's the, one week yeah. play. The timeline, know. yeah, the timeline of the play takes all 
Um, it all takes place in one week, within one week. But what's the rest of this character, these characters, what's the rest of their life story, you know? And it, and I find that with New York City, you're, you're just walking around and wondering, like there's somebody over here dancing in their underwear in a window across the way. <laughs> and I'm just like, are they happy? Are they miserable? I don't know what's going on with them. I, if I saw them in the street, I'd ask them probably, but <laughs> I, I do feel like we just need to be present. And again, keep the narrative going and get back to, mankind you know just try to sort of uh, be human and exist and and get rid of all the noise like you know i'm not a big cell phone fan i just park my cell phone for the most part of the day and and try to stay away from the headlines as best i can turn off those notifications and alerts and just talk to somebody at a coffee shop that you don't know and i i feel like that's what christy motivates me to do with these characters like they're they're living through misery right now trying to find grief and they're in isolation and trying to come together and uh, understand their existence again and I feel like people are really like that in New York City like you really just don't know somebody's story you don't know why somebody's driving fast down the interstate it might be a real emergency just pull over and let them do their thing you know I like that about this play and I hope that people really just sort of stop and think okay school shooting school shooting school shooting let's get back to can we do something about this problem versus oh swipe next what's what's the next headline you know that's kind of where I I really like that. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to this show? And Rick, I'm going to start with you on this one. I hope the people that have access to the show are the ones that can see all sides of the issue. My my father is an NRA member, but he's a disappointed NRA member. He's disappointed that they are not stepping up and doing, and he's done it. He's a hunter. He's from Maine. We're all from Maine. He's a hunter. He needs his gun, not his assault weapon or, you know, high capacity magazines. He needs his shotgun. He needs his rifle. He put, I probably ate a lot more venison when I was a kid than I ever knew that I ate. I always thought it was like a flank steak, but now that I'm getting older, he's starting to tell me the truth. <laughs> and he's letting me know that I ate a lot of fish out of the river and I ate a lot of deer out of the woods. But you know, I hope that people that come and see a show like this, I hope that they can understand, you know, whether you're in a rocky marriage, relationship problems, maybe both sides of the gun issue, and understanding that there are fixes out there for these things. And again, keep it in the narrative. Like, don't give up. I want people that see the show be, to be willing to talk about these things, to have, like you just mentioned, ask me about my life. Ask me about my thoughts. We don't need to talk about the top two candidates in the country all the time. Let's talk about the smaller issues and bring them all to the table. And, you know, many voices are going to help that problem. I and mean, we're only going to reach a few hundred, you know, people, whatever. But hopefully they, they are the people that will then take it back to their communities and sort of have discussions and, and see that both sides of all these aisles have issues that need to be worked out. We just need to reach back across and figure it out. Matilda, what about you? Who do you hope have access? Well, I'll say two things. One, well, with indie theater, it is kind of word of mouth. So like you said, you know, you know, we only have like whatever few people, a few hundred people will probably end up coming, you know, to the show. We only have 10 performances. So yeah, hopefully, you know, the, the people who come, they'll tell their people and they'll tell their people, you know, hopefully we'll we'll do it that way. Christy had reached out to Everytown and also Moms Demand Action. 
the two organizations who are, you know, and the anti school shootings, anti guns and stuff. So in that sense, you know, we're hoping that someone from their organizations come to, you know, see our show. So then they can get the word out of our, you know, advertise it that way. And the, and second, I, I really hope that we get producers to come to our show who would like to take our, the magazine to the next level to off Broadway, you know, come on, let's do it. You know? So yeah, that's, that's, that's our hope to, to continue on after we close here at the Sargent to, you know, hopefully get it, um, get this play up again and, you know, at the off Broadway level. I want to now change things up a little bit for the second part of the show and give our listeners a chance to pick your brains a little bit more, get to know you a bit. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what inspires you? What playwrights, composers, shows, what are some of your favorites in that category? And Matilda, if I can stick with you first on this. Sure. So first thing I would like to say is that we actually had some original music written for our show by Jason Bible. He is a Savannah-based singer-songwriter that actually Rick and I came across a handful of years ago when we were down in Savannah. And I just, I loved him so much. He was just like outside. He, his band is called Trainwrecks. And I reached out to him and we, we, I was like, my God, you're just amazing. And I, you know, we saw him a couple of times down there. And anyway, so when we started developing, when Christy and I started developing this play to put up, I reached out to Jason and asked if he would be willing to write an original song for the show. And he did, and it's called Without You and it's used throughout the show. And it's just very beautiful. It's just a very beautiful song about loss and love and grief. And you can, it's on Vimeo, but I do know the, link i can tell you the link is on my website so you can find it there the video for that for it so i feel like that you know that was beautiful and then you know in general you know in terms of like playwriting i love pinter i love his stuff i love anything that's like haunting has a haunting feel to it but also i love christy's stuff i've been collaborating with her for many 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 years i directed her a show of hers in 2010 so we met in 2010 and it was called our beds are crowded about love fear and sex and then i also directed another show of hers after that i'll look for the woman and i just love christy's style and to use rick's phrase she, her slice of life her plays are a slice of life and her plays has so much humanity in it like she sees people christy sees people and she has the talent and skill to then write that. And so the characters are, feel so real. And, 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 and yeah, so it's like since 2010, what is it now? 2013. So what is that? 13 years that I've been collaborating with her. That's amazing. Rick, what about you? What are your inspirations? Oh, I'm i I'm completely on the other end of the spectrum with playwrights. You know, I'm a Samuel Beckett fan, Henrik Ibsen, Carlo Goldoni. Like I, I'm a little more into the European playwrights, I guess. The, the realism stuff, it is hard for me. This this type of show gets too real. You know what I mean? Like it just, I find myself for I find myself choked up. 
I, but, to I like, but to interject real fast, you've said this before that you feel like Christie's plays are like films. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it, <laughs> but it's just I, you know, talk about haunting anything. Anything Ibsen is so creepy, and you know. Jessica Chastain production, uh, Jamie Lloyd doing that one, Doll's House. I, I'd love to go see that. I'm, you know, we're just getting our feet wet back, going back to theater. We're like, we're a little COVID shy and just trying to be careful out there in the world. But I would love to see that production. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ibsen and Jessica and Jamie. Like they're, they're all just phenomenal. So I'd, I'd be curious as to how that all came together and how beautiful and haunting that probably is. But I would say I'm more into the sort of clowning world, to be honest. Like, I'm, those are my, you know, the Goldonis at Moliere. I love stuff like that. I love high physical contrast comedy. I, I like it so much. But I also feel like it just, you leave it. You, you, you go to another world when you are sitting in a theater piece like that. And I haven't seen anything probably since Boeing, Boeing where I was like, I would love to absolutely be in that show because you're just an idiot. And I love it so much. And I feel like people that go to those shows aren't looking for anything grounded. You know, they just want to be in, a participant in the theater and enjoy themselves. So that is the opposite spectrum of the show we are currently promoting. <laughs> Except for it's it's... The elevated slice of life, and I, you know, I would I would do a five hour, I would do a a five day five act piece of Christie's because I know how it's gonna go. But my personal preference is to just sit back and watch something completely, you know, John Ritter, you know, like something like Three's Company or something like that. Those are my things. That's what I love, and it's inspiring for me. So mm -hmm. somebody please put Three's Company on Broadway. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well, on that note, have either of you seen any great theater lately you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Well, I saw, well, one is already closed. I did see the Seagull uh, Woodstock, New York, uh, that, that the new group did that had Parker Posey and Amy Stiller in it over on 42nd Street. That I thought that was fantastic. It was so funny. Oh my God, they just, they did such a great job. It was hysterical. But I think that just, that closed like two weeks ago or something like that. But I haven't, you know, I just haven't really had the, the time to go see anything. But once our show closes, I do have tickets to go see The Sign in the Window with Rachel Brosnahan and the Laurie Metcalf Grey House, that spooky mm -hmm. one. So I'm looking very much looking forward to going to see those shows. I want to ask you two now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? My favorite part of working in the theater is the collaboration, the camaraderie, and the adrenaline of doing live theater. I feel that theater is art that's alive and that's breathing. And, you know, you get a chance for during the rehearsal process, those few weeks of rehearsal process to go on this journey with the cast and crew that's very collaborative. And you, you get to find all these, like all the nuggets, the process of finding, you know, like all the nuggets and nuances, you know, of the script and of the story. And then, once the show opens, then you still get to go on that. Then you bring the audience in on that journey with you, you know, and every night is a different journey depending on the, who the, you know, who is in the audience. So I feel like that's, you know, that's really, you know, exciting to, to do that piece of live theater in that sense. I love that. Answer. Yeah. It's a fabulous answer. Yeah. I would say I'm, I'm in the exact same boat on that one. I mean, there's no better thing than collaboration and ensemble. I, I think I would just add 
no budget theater. I know, I don't think Matilda prefers it, but I prefer it. I, I just love to keep it basic. I love the, the hoops you have to jump through as a performer in a no budget theater situation, you know, no, no budget slash low budget, <laughs> whatever it might be, shoestring budget. I like when it gets down to the bare bones, when you're just sort of watching your scene partner across the stage and it's like, it's just us out here. We just got to make this work. We're going somewhere, hop on, let's go. You look into each other's eyes and you just love each other, you know? And, and I like that about this small sort of indie theater structure. I pay my bills with my photography and I find that now that I pick up my camera to pay the bills, I can't stand it sometimes, you know, like it's, it's, it's a tool now and I have to use it. And I used to just do landscapes and love my life. But now when you're sort of being paid to do work with your camera so that you can pay your own bills, you just don't enjoy it as much. I've worked on some bigger houses that have, you know, we we're joking about the light board. I don't, I think the light board was built before this building, but you know, you work into a, in a bigger house and suddenly you've got all these mechanics. And if, especially if you're like a stand in or something like that, you have very specific marks you have to hit. You just lose all of that rawness and that sort of nakedness on stage. And I, I, really dig doing this kind of theater. I like the journey that we go on as artists. I like the journey that the, the audience goes on with us and the new people that you meet every single time, the technicians that are doing their thing, you know, everybody backstage, the dressing rooms, everything is just so greatly collaborated. I love it. I love that answer as well. Oh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I now want to ask my favorite question to you two, and it's, what is your favorite theater memory? Oh, can I go first? Oh, please, yeah. <laughs> Matilda, no. what is your favorite theater memory? I'm raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go, I, I would like to go first because one of my favorite memories actually is tied into what we just talked about in terms of what we love about doing live theater. And so one of my favorite memories is I was in Of Mice and Men, I played Curly's wife and every night when my neck got snapped by Lenny there was an audible gasp from the audience and I I loved it I loved it so much that the fact that it looked so real to them you know that like you know the stage combat move of uh, my neck getting broken I just I just love that having that energy going back between you know, what's going on on stage and then what's going on in the audience. And it's just like, it's just this beautiful artistic journey that everyone is like going on together. And so, so that's, that's one of my favorite memories. And the other one, speaking of indie theater, I'm going to totally share the story because it really is like, I have to share it. So many years ago, so it doesn't exist anymore, but it was at the Spoon Theater. What was like 38th Street? It was like by the Empire State Building. Anyway, there was no bathroom for cast. Don't tell equity. There was, well, it doesn't exist anymore, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. I can tell the story because it doesn't exist anymore. There was no bathroom for like, once you got behind the stage to the dressing room, once you were there, you're, you're, you guys, you know, we were just there for like whatever the two, two to three hours that we had to be back there, you know, for the duration of the show. And, I, and we did a number of shows there. So there was a bucket on the fire escape for us to use to go to the bathroom. I'm not kidding you. Indie theater, everybody. <laughs> yes. So anyway, at first, the first couple of years when we were doing theater there, there was like no, there was no building behind it. There was like an empty lot or something like that. 
But at some point there was like a fancy either hotel or apartment building that got built up. So when we're on that fire escape going to the bathroom, it was just like, oh, hi. You could see someone in the, like their apartment or whatever it was, like the hotel room, because all of a sudden it was just like all like lit up. It was, yeah, it was, it's, I feel like it's just a great New York City theater story. I love that. It's just like the show within the show kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That, and then that it was just like, and then, and then at the end of the night, okay, well, who, who has to, you know, someone had to empty the bucket at the end of the night. Oh my God. That is, that is probably the worst, best theater memory I've heard. I'm so sorry you all had to go through that. That is amazing. Yeah, there, the, the Spoon Theater is no longer here, but there are some messed up memories from that place. Uh, we, we had a bunch of audience members get stuck. They had one of those old graded elevators. You know, you had to pull the door closed. It was just in shambles. And A.R. Gurney came to see what I did last summer, which I directed. And he was sitting in the audience I think we just started the show within like three minutes and all of a sudden the fire department shows up because somebody had said that the elevator got stuck between floors. Somebody had to call. And so A.R. Gurney sitting in the, you know, Pete Gurney is huge deal. And this elevator gets stuck and all of a sudden I'm the director panicking because I hear in the lobby, which is just behind a curtain, right? Like you got your audience and then a curtain and then the lobby, you start hearing all the firefighter walkie talkies going off. And I see one of the firefighters pull out an axe. <laughs> and I'm just like, good Lord, no, please do not take a swing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, you know, and the walkies are just at full volume because, of course, they can't hear in a theater. I don't know what the heck that was about. But he's like, oh, no, I'm just going to pry it open. And I was like, please do it quietly. Yeah, and there were a couple of times where the elevator came and you open up the grate, but the elevator wasn't there. Yeah, there was no It floor. was just the shaft. Yeah. 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 Times. <laughs> Piggybacking off her of Mice and Men's story, I was doing Death Trap, playing the lead in Death Trap, and we way over-designed that and made it as realistically spooky as we could. And I remember, and this is just a quick story, and it's not one of my favorite memories by far, but I had to kill a colleague of mine, Mike Mim, on stage with a garrote. And so, you know, all these spooky things had been happening in the play, and it was like one of those sort of summer stock theaters, Monomoy Theater on Cape Cod in Chatham. And I put this garrote around his neck and we we did it so that blood would spurt out of the garrote. Like there was an air pump. I can't remember who designed it, Toby something, but there was like a, a pump that pumped all this blood everywhere. So blood just went everywhere when it happened. And I heard somebody having an attack in the audience. Like they were going into cardiac arrest or something like that. And I know this because the ambulance showed up and took them out of there. So I was like, okay, that was either the best performance I've ever given or the absolute worst. Oh but God. it was just one of those moments where it was like, I just did my job as an actor and, you know, the consequences, I still don't know what they were. I probably should have read <laughs> in the newspaper, but tying into that, I think my favorite theater experience in general, same theater, Monomoy Theater, they closed it down, too many sort of holes in the walls and things like that, you know, just unhealthy. It was dangerous to work in that condition, but we used to do the three show. We did something like 10 shows in a summer. You'd be rehearsing one in the morning, rehearsing one in the afternoon, and then putting up one in night three shows in a day and then you would just do the one at the night and i miss that world i miss the guest artists that used to come in and direct we got clifford williams in one time who was one of the founders of royal shakespeare company and his story was funny he was an old man he was direct he was a bernard shaw expert so he's directing misalliance by bernard shaw but the the story of him coming to cape cod he was an old man that the artistic director had just reached out to and said hey uh 
I run this little theater on Cape Cod. How would you like to um, maybe come and, and direct one of our shows? And it was it was a long shot. It was a super duper duper long shot. I mean, this guy just directed all over the world. And he's like, he's a Welsh, a Welsh director. And he, he said to our artistic director, you know, Cape Cod, it's, it's nice and beautiful there, right? And the artistic director was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And he just came over and directed Miss Alliance as an expert does. And it was just one of the most phenomenal shows that we've ever done at Monomoy Theater. He's gone now, but it, it was surreal because he would sit outside drinking with us at night, you know, because it's one of those type summer stocks. He'd just sit out there and tell you the craziest stories about Derek Jacoby and things like that. And you're just like, wow, this is this is the best experience of my life. And I knew it 24 years ago. I knew it was my best experience and still is to this day, like hanging out with those type of people, you know. Yeah, good stuff. What incredible stories you all just shared. Thank you <laughs> so much for those. Are there any other projects or productions either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Well, since Christy, our playwright, wasn't able to join the podcast, I have a I'm I have a little note here written down. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read her log line. So anyway, so Christy wrote a screenplay and it's called Benny Go Home. And Carnival Girls will be putting it up as a stage reading in September at Caveat, New York. I don't have the exact date, but it will be September, um, New York City. Again, it's called Benny Go Home. And it's about a dejected big city playwright who escapes down to the Jersey Shore only to take on more drama. So that's what's coming up next for Christy and for Carnival Girls Productions. As for myself personally, we just I just finished wrapping the fifth season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And the fifth season right now is available, the last one. And it was just, and it's fantastic. And it was definitely bittersweet for all of us to, you know, we were working on that show for six years, you know, talk about family. So that was just a fantastic, wonderful experience altogether. So like I said, that's that's the, the last season is available now on Amazon. And, and lots of good things happened to Zelda the character that I play on that this season. And other than that, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own, you know, writing. I have a couple of uh, kids books out there that I uh, illustrated and drew uh, all cats speak Polish and penguin in the city, which I refer to going back to what we're talking about before about now looking at our phones during the pandemic and stuff. I call it my pandemic creativity because I just, I couldn't watch CNN anymore. It was like 24 seven. And I used to draw a lot. And so during when the pandemic started, I just went back to that because I just like, I need some art. I need, I need something before I go cuckoo and throw myself out the window. And yeah, so that, you know, that came out with that for those couple of kids books. And then I'm also working on um, a feature, a horror script. It's called Residue. So just like, yeah, doing some stuff like that. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully by the end of the year, that'll be finished and we can start, you know, doing some pre-production on that. Very cool. Anything for you, Rick? Uh, you know, just auditioning, looking for an agent. Hello. No, <laughs> I do headshots. Hello. <laughs> no, I'd say I'm just, I'm just kind of auditioning. I do have a short film in short film festivals at the moment called Solitaire by Amy Neswald. Here that's being well received. I haven't actually seen it yet. And yeah, just hitting the pavement here in New York City. That's what we do. All right. So yeah. Very cool. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about the magazine or about either of you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? Well, I think you already at the beginning gave out the Carney website. So for, for tickets and more about the magazine, they can go to Carnival Girls Production. Sorry, that's plural, right? Yeah, Carnival Girls Productions.com. 
for me. I have a website as well. So it's matildashadagas.com. I know that people are not going to know how to spell that, but they can just, they can Google. Christy and I are both also on Instagram. So throughout the process of the play being up, we're both kind of posting a bunch of photos. We have a bunch of character shots and publicity photos for the magazine that we're putting up now on Instagram. So we can be found there as well. I mean, we, yeah, you could just, they could just Google our names and, uh, and Rick has a website as well, rickseacrest.com. Yeah, I'm at rickseacrest.com. I also, uh, my headshot one is seacrest.co, but you can also just Google me and find me. I'm on all the socials, but I'm not super responsive on those. Uh, again, just trying to park some of that information, <laughs> like live life every day. Matilda, Rick, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing this incredible show sharing your stories and just your wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate it. This has been incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Andrew, so much. It was yeah. such a pleasure, like, I guess, e-meeting you. And, and I look forward to, like, meeting you in person next week. Yes, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. No, we appreciate what you're doing. And, and thank you for asking us to do this as well. I'm glad we could all connect and time this out before we do a show here in a minute. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're at the theater. We're at the theater yeah. right now, yeah. <laughs> My guests today have been the director and co-producer Matilda Shadigas and the actor-performer Rick Seacrest, who are currently in the magazine, which is playing now through May 13th at ATA's Historic Sargent Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting carnivalgirlsproductions.com, and you are definitely going to want to go get your tickets right now. In fact, if you'd like to join Stage Whisper when we go, we are attending the Wednesday evening, May 10th show, so make sure to get your tickets now. Let's make that a sold-out show, and we'll yes. all make a night of it at the Historic Sergeant Theater. We also have some contact info and websites for our guests that we'll be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media. But the important thing you've got to take away today is that you've got until May 13th to catch this incredible play at the Historic Sergeant Theater. So get your tickets now. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>